One of my last foreign travels before the pandemic was to Scotland. On the last evening before embarking on a weeks-long hike, I sat in a local bar in Edinburgh and happened to have a lovely chat with a man who, it turned out, has worked as a climate researcher since the 1970s. We talked about climate-related anxieties, and what struck me the most was his words that he has never, ever in his entire career, been as hopeful about the future of our planet as now. It took me by surprise, but I got what he meant. The anxiety I have been dealing with for the last several years must have tortured him for the last several decades. And for the first time in those decades, he wasn't alone in it. The reason for that anxiety is the fact that one finally sees and comprehends the reality as it is. Which got me thinking. If we were blind to climate change all these years, what else in our lives is built on illusion? This is Literature from Finland podcast. I'm Urte from Helsinki Literary Agency, and in this episode, I'll be talking to Jipe Leitinen, the author of novel Fictional, whose answer to my question might as well be everything. One more episode recorded remotely due to the pandemic restrictions, but I'm so happy to have you as our guest and thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. I have begun this episode by talking about climate for two reasons. Firstly, on 22nd of April, the world celebrates International Earth Day. So our agency has dedicated this month uh, for our planet and nature. Secondly, you have an impressive background in that area. Before writing your first fiction novel, you had been writing about climate for nearly 20 years as a journalist. You have also published two nonfiction books about climate and energy issues. Most recently, you were one of the scriptwriters in the Finnish TV program 100 Questions About Climate that received widespread attention and coverage in Finland. So I'd like to start by asking you whether you agree with my Scottish friend. In terms of environmental action, is now the time when you feel the most hopeful? Well, it's a good question and it's also a huge question. Um, I suppose the answer is yes, uh, in the sense that, um, well, in the past, two and a half years after the latest IPCC report, the climate has been everywhere. It's the climate change is mainstream, which for me is is really amazing to see after covering and following these issues for, for about 20 years, like you said. All all of a sudden it's everywhere and, and you don't you don't have to look for articles or news pieces about climate. Like I used to collect them in a in a, you know, uh, but but you know you couldn't do it anymore. It's all over the place. So of course that's positive, <clears throat> and um, and yeah, just uh, well, okay. So we are recording this on the twenty third of April, and yesterday on the twenty second day, the Earth it was the Earth Day, and it was also my birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Biden administration published their pretty ambitious goal for you know reducing the CO two emissions and. And also the China government published their goal in August 2020. And so the biggest, the two biggest 
polluters, so to speak, are are now getting more involved. And of course, many other countries have done that already. And a lot of big companies are sort of turning turning towards the sustain, sustainability kind of practices, at least in the rhetorics, right? <laughs> so yeah, there's a lot of going on. And what is important in the business side is that the, that the banks who give loans to companies who are, who are dependent on the loans, on the money from the banks. So several big banks are now requiring like um, uh, this sort of climate and sustainable criteria from the customers. So they need to report, they need to count, they need to uh, reduce emissions on their own activities. So this is important. Like when money talks, you know, you these right. people really have to listen. So, so yeah, many things are indeed changing. So yes, that brings hope. But on the other hand, global emissions are still going up. We haven't seen that, you know, the curve turning down yet. So it's a, it's a, like a two two way street in a way, and uh, there are more coal power plants being built than than are being decommissioned at mm. the moment. So so the problem is that the the reductions for the CO2 emissions should be like very very fast. The schedule is is amazingly tight. So so the answer is like yes and know that that there's a lot of hope and optimism in the air but on the other hand we haven't seen the you know the big change we need yet yeah yeah so a lot of hope and a lot of anxiety at the same time yeah yeah and and speaking of hope and optimism uh, at least some part of that optimism um must be some kind of you know um uh, strategical optimism, mm -hmm. you know, because even like a lot of activists are now talking about hope. Yeah. A lot of researchers are talking about hope, hope, hope. And so uh, I'm I'm pondering like how how sort of how many percent of that talk is 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 is, is like practical in a way, you know, exactly. you, because in any situation you shouldn't say there's no hope right that 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 doesn't work in any in any scenario that's not the way to go so and it sometimes it's a it's a good idea to you know color the the story a little bit and this brings us to the maybe some kind of area uh that you wanted to talk about regarding my novel and the illusions exactly. regarding the story yeah exactly this this brings us very nicely to illusions because we are all very well aware that uh, the world is full of conspiracy theories about all kinds of things, including the ones that, uh, including the one that climate change uh, is a hoax. But even more interesting, and this is exactly, I think, what you are now uh, talking about, uh, are the illusions many people have about how this catastrophic change would be solved. And uh, these are often well-educated, well-informed people. Uh, you have mentioned in the past uh, that especially as a fiction writer, you are particularly interested in how the human mind works. So what is, what is your opinion? Why do we still create these illusions and rely on them despite all the information that is available to us? What does that say about us uh, as Hum, you know what does that say about humans as a species? Well, uh, I suppose information alone doesn't make much difference. 
because people uh, react more on emotions and intuition maybe and 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 maybe some sort of instinct and and we are we are sort of bombarded by by uh, different kind of information also that is not consistent all the time and and we want to believe many things that doesn't that don't really maybe even exist and and there's a, of course there's a lot of misinformation at the moment also mm. so it's really hard for a, for the common people to actually see what's going on because even the researchers don't agree on many things right so it's it's sort of mission impossible to be aware of everything and then try to you know act act, act accordingly but uh related to human beings as a species that brings us to questions like evolution in my, in my thinking at least so if, if i think of people or human beings I, I I really believe in individuals. Like I, uh, we are amazing beings. <laughs> I know many. I know many, and and it's it's like uh, if you look at culture or art, it's amazing that we can actually accomplish. And I also believe in 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 uh, communities like uh, and big and small, like family communities, even like tribe sort of communities. But but then you when you go to bigger units like uh, society level. Where groups start to compete with with each other, not, not to mention like the species level of human beings, then it it gets like kind of more ugly in a way, more more primitive. I would I would say like because what is what is our biggest flaw as a species is this this very uh, serious um, short sightedness. Mm. You know, we right. we don't see, we don't even try to see very far. I, I don't. I don't, I'm not saying we should predict the future, but we should at least, you know, try to, you know, keep the home base clean, you know, the, the home cave or whatever, try to keep, keep the environment so that our offspring would be well off. Yeah. And and what we do nicely is, you know, we reproduce, that's fun. And then we, uh, we like, we take care of, you know, the 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 offspring obviously and and even the grandchildren yes but that's where it ends we don't we don't see the the fact that they are actually in order for our dna to go forward in the population we we also should take better care of the you know the surroundings that 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 we live in so if you look at overfishing for example which is a huge problem all over the world it's just not very smart to you know Mm. Overfish, you know, take out all the fish from the lake, and then that's it for the for that, you know. Yeah, yeah. For that sort of activity, so yeah. so yeah. I mean, but it, I, I, for me, it like depends on the level in which you 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 look at the human being. Yeah, yeah, and probably like getting back to the question, you know, why we rely on illusions. I guess it's also some sort of like self defense mechanism in a way that we we. We kind of rely on it because we we feel more secure. It's more secure to believe in in kind of things and that everything will be all right and we're just gonna solve this or somebody's gonna solve this and things always mm-hmm. always get solved. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as already, the name of your award-winning novel implies fictional also has a lot to do with illusions. Uh, it is a circadian novel told in a stream of consciousness uh, revolving around its main protagonist, philosopher Henry Qualia. 
on this on his trip to the hospital to his long lost love, Henry furiously contemplates his theory about how we humans interact with the world around us. He argues that our perception of it is based precisely on illusion and our own imagination. First of all, can you break down Henry's theory for us? Why does he claim that illusion is everywhere? Okay, so the the protagonist is a is a philosopher, uh, quite a multidisciplinary multidisciplinary one. So he likes to combine things from psychology, phenomenology, even neural sciences, and um, so his uh, the, his theory is called the theory of fictional human being, and um, and he collects evidence that. Um, for his hypothesis that goes along the lines that we actually uh, live in in sort of illusion and we don't receive information from the outside world as it is. Mm. But we sort of create it along the way. For example, like take vision, perception, vision, vision, perception, for example, like in both eyes, we actually have like physiological blind spots. Right. But we don't we don't see black spots on the wall because the, our brain colors the the spots and we see everything as a, a nice and you know solid. Right. Uh, whatever whatever we looked at, so brain is kind of guessing what what's gonna probably be in the blind spot, like the light white color from my wall, for example, that I'm looking at here in my in my study. But right. But uh, yeah, so the brain actually creates a lot of. Uh, a big part of our visionary perception, and this is something that we don't know. We don't know exactly how it works, but that what we what we do know that the eyes don't work like two cameras that would be just mm. capturing and recording what happens outside. No, it's it's more has to do uh, more has to do with the brain sort of creating these uh, visions like a, like a projector. Yeah, like a yeah. film, you know, in a, in yeah. a movie theater, creating what's so, missing, uh, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then take language. Uh, words have individual subjective uh, meanings, like words like father or or uh, uh, I don't know, a tent or or a, a particle or what, whatever word you you pick, it will be colored and filtered through your whole personal history, and the meaning will be unique in a way. More or less. So, so this is kind of evidence that Henry is is gathering to support his theory, and he's also very interested in in placebo theory. Mm. Like, for example, so he's quoting like these real life science um, researchers that from from this actual world. So there's a lot of sort of facts uh, included as well in in the novel. And then we have a lot of false memories. We have illusions and. And for example, Henry's um, uh, sister Hannah is uh, is a deeply religious person. So obviously, her you know uh, worldview would be very different from from Henry's or, right. or from their mother, who is actually uh, who has Alzheimer's and has her own illusions that are very very real to her, of course. Right. So you know, these are some examples of of how Henry is. Is sort of uh, collecting uh, things to support his theory, and and when it what it comes down to is that we all live in 
sort of uh, individual subjective bubbles or or uh, or separated worlds that are not really connected with each other. And right. when you learn to understand this, you can even start to control it and, and create your own reality with different methods. And this is like his big idea that you can create your own reality. Right. And, and well, he has his own particular reasons for believing all this and doing all this. So, yeah. and, and yeah, the, so the, the theory goes very far during this one day story and he, he, he goes like, um, it's, it gets pretty intense and it's, it's pretty yeah. low, loaded with uh, philosophy and psychology on the way and, and yeah, it gets kind of out of hand. Right, right. Yeah, and when you talk about false memories, it does really apply also to the uh, to collective memory. I've I've been lately thinking a lot about this. How historically, like nations remember things. Uh, you know, after a time, uh, they remember things differently than they actually happen. So I think that's that's also something that Henry thinks about, or at least on the personal level. But then. Here comes the eternal question. Are there ways to reach the most objective, the most real reality? What is Henry's solution to it? How do we get this real, real thing? Well, um, well, you have to ask, like, what is the real thing, actually? Because <sighs> I, 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 there's, there's really no such thing. It, it just depends on from whose angle you are observing things. Mm. Like if you take human beings, that's obviously our our perspective. So let's say like our our vision is a, is a range of of light, uh, sort of uh, wavelengths of light that we see as, as different mm. colors. But then it's it's pretty narrow. Like if you take a bird or an insect, they will see also ultraviolet light. Right. It's much different. We we can't imagine. Actually, there's a very small percentage of people who can also see this but uh but most of us know and also hearing is a, is a range of uh like wavelength of um uh of different sounds no pitches of different different uh sounds so that's also pretty narrow with human beings if you take a mouse or a dog or an elephant it will be a totally different perspective for the for the world and totally different reality so it's it's just there, there's no such thing as as the real reality. There's only like perspectives that you can take and angles when you look at it from. You understand what I'm right, saying? Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I and I do understand, but that's the thing, and I think that's. Uh, the thing that bothers many people and you know if we get back to like climate questions all kinds of big questions in life like how do you eventually know what's like the most <laughs> the most real thing and what to believe if everything depends on perspective and that's just so complicated yeah it is and it's very like subjective and it's it's kind of um i, th I find it even kind of relieving that uh well some of some of his thinking is is definitely true. Like I said, it's based on on real real science that that uh, we we do have our own very unique view mm. of the world, and 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 it is also true that we can affect how we perceive the world. So so and there are like different ways to do that. So I think it's kind of 
kind of relieving and kind of inspiring even even to come to the conclusion. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, gives you freedom, I guess, in, in some ways, um, if, not yeah. ex- if not anxiety. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think, where, I think where Henry is exac- exaggerating a lot is, is when he says that there's no real connection between people mm. but at, at, at least i like to i like to uh, create my own illusions of of being really connected to people sometimes right. it's, it's, <laughs> it's a nice illusion at least i don't care if it's true or not <laughs> <laughs> yeah especially at the time of pandemic i think we we all have thought a lot about connections uh connections with oh people. definitely mm. but if we like henry claim that people always had uh, this problem that their understanding of self and understanding of the world is illusion-based. How much do you think this phenomenon has been altered by the age of the internet and social media? Has it been altered at all? Well, um, I suppose one angle from uh, for social media is definitely that, that, that it's about representations of of people sort of like avatars in a way right. <laughs> that we, we, we make up sort of um, like a side persona or, 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 or like a new version of ourselves mm-hmm. in Facebook or Instagram or wherever. Right. And of course, and we don't, it's like widely accepted in a way that it's, it's like a role play in a way. It, they're, they're fictional identities, aren't they? Right. I mean, no, nobody is even trying to be the, like the, the real self or, or, or it's not like important at all. Right. So that's one angle. But I, I suppose this, this is in a way nothing new because like in the old days when we used to write letters and postcards, right. like I suppose you, you would also have some kind of role when you're, when they write a letter so but i i guess with social media it's it's like more accumulated and and it's just like so common and and we actually live in these fictional roles like maybe several hours every day and and try to see like how how many people like us in that in that particular role Mm. And and try to change the behavior so they would like us more. And it's, <laughs> yeah, it's it's that's 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 really yeah. strange in a way. Yeah, it? yeah, maybe exactly what you say. What it what internet and especially social media has altered is the fact that we crave even more for like others' appreciation and sort of mm-hmm. uh, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. the likes, <laughs> likes of everybody. Yeah, else. exactly. Mm. But if we return to climate um, as well as to the current state of the world and current state of democracy humanity what do you think are the most dangerous illusions prevailing among us at the moment well that we are different Mm. from each other that we have to defend ourselves against each other Mm -hmm. that uh, we have to fear and then hate other people. I think that's a, that's a very unfortunate, very dangerous illusion. Mm. Because when you think about it, there's there's really in most cases there's really no need for that. Right. Um, like if you think of prejudice, that's just like fear without any any base, any reason. Right. Isn't it? So this is something 
that uh, it, that you could you know just look differently at if you could just remove the fear somehow or avoid it altogether. Right. Like people are actually pretty similar. I mean, everybody wants to be content. Everybody wants to be happy. We need our certain basic things. Everybody wants to avoid suffering. We have so many things in common, like much more than than the differences. You know, like doesn't doesn't you know. Mm. even you know not depending on the culture or the color or anything like we have we are very much the same so it's just such a waste of time and energy to you know yeah just just be afraid of being different <laughs> or you know yeah yeah and well yeah and that's that relates to my uh, other question uh, next question and and to the future in general and a lot that i think many people again have been thinking a lot during the pandemic but um finnish swedish author markus rosenlund published a wonderful nonfiction in 2018 uh named the weather that changed the world which discusses 10 different historical events that happened in very different periods of time and different corners of the world and what connects them is the fact that the course of each event uh, was affected and changed by weather conditions. What stuck with me after reading the book was that not only the book tells how we have changed the weather, but also how the weather has changed us. So if we think about our time, if we think about climate, the pandemic, how do you think it will change us in, in what way? Well, it's a good question. I, well, I hope we would learn something <laughs> from climate crisis, from the pandemic, pandemic. But I'm not so sure. Maybe. Right. Well, I, I'm very, I'm a very optimistic person, and probably some of that is 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 also that strategic kind of optimism, I suppose. Right. But um, but yeah, would be would be great if we learned something. But you know, it's not the first pandemic no. ever, and also and also um. And there will be more. That's what they say, right? And 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 also, you know, we have known about climate change for for a hundred years, right. and for forty years, it for about maybe forty years, it has been like an acute thing going on, and global warming has been happening, and we have, we've been just watching from the from the side, you know. So right. so yeah, maybe there is learning, but. Um, Let's see. I, I think on an individual level, of course, on a community level, of course, we can learn. We can learn to cope with, you know, the changes in the weather environment and and build this sort of resilience in in communities and that. And there's a lot of smart people working on that all over the world. Right. Um, uh, but yeah, then then as a species. Well, <laughs> let's see. Evolu evolution is very small, but maybe the evolution of thinking is, I mean, it's very slow. Evolution is very slow, obviously, in, bi in a biological way, but maybe on a thinking level, it can be can be fast as well when you when you really have to get action when the when you know things things start to look like now we have to do something. Right, right. Why I say that this uh, this relates to my previous question and to pandemic is is uh, the fact that. During the pandemic, uh, and especially when it just started, for a very, very short moment, uh, I think we all saw that all of a sudden people did see exactly that, that we are not all that different. And instead of all these, you know, um, sort of sci-fi uh, scenarios, we started helping each other more than than I have 
really ever seen before and and been there for each other so something that thinking about the future and and this this uh just last question that i ask just yeah exactly i would so hope that this would be one of the changes that somehow we we would see that mm-hmm. we are not mm-hmm. that different uh, exactly as you said yeah um to finish uh some very literary questions who is your current literary crush uh, i've been reading a lot of richard fort lately mm. um he's, he's called a realist i suppose uh, but um but at least the latest latest book uh, is called canada it's a huge novel uh i just finished it it's it's quite amazing trip very very powerful i i like his prose he's uh he's sort of i don't know very sort of liberating and and the, de- the amount of details in the in the new book his style has actually evolved uh, evolved a lot and he has he has changed to a more uh his description of of just surroundings and details it's 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 really um it's detailed and it's very like sharp sided he makes notions of you know expressions on people's faces and and like very small things that you just keep on recognizing mm-hmm. and you know this feeling of recognizing something familiar in in a text yeah. or in a story it's always like very rewarding you know so very, you yeah. you go like oh i've been there i know exactly how that looks mm-hmm. like so it's also like so he uses this this thing a lot and i really like that Right, right. Sounds wonderful. Which author are you are following on social media and why? Well, I I'm not very active in social media. I don't think I'm following any any writers in in social media uh, uh and and I suppose many that I would maybe follow they're not with us anymore <laughs> and they don't have they 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 don't have social media accounts from from when where they are but um But yeah, for, actually I do watch YouTube sometimes. I do watch like YouTube interview videos. Mm. Uh the latest latest I watched from was from Ian McEwan. Okay, wow. And yeah, so I I think it's it's kind of nice to see them talk and I don't know. I always <laughs> learn something I yeah. suppose as a big <laughs> Exactly. Well, what is the most absurd conspiracy theory that you have heard about climate change? the most absurd conspiracy theory right well well that would be a carbon footprint i mean it's that that it's a concept that was actually launched by bp which is the, one of the most one of the biggest oil companies in the world right so they in, they actually invented carbon footprint and they they wanted to as you know big companies do in their pr and propaganda they they wanted to shift the focus of the global warming discussion towards the consumer right right and that's that has been a very successful thing to do so obviously now at least in the western countries everybody is now more or less like counting their own carbon footprint <laughs> and the media is full of that uh, and um and uh and and actually it's misleading because because where the actual you know significant decisions are made it's not at home or in in the supermarket it's in in politics and business 
exactly and and not with the common people so so this has been a, a big uh, sort of illusion maybe once again of course it's not all about like when big groups of people are sort of getting information and learning about carbon emissions in general they will more likely to vote also for for people who are aware of these things and, and want mm. to take action. So I always say like voting is, is the number one action you can do right. as, a, as an individual here. Right, right. Yeah, but 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 yeah, carbon, uh, but it's it's complicated because I'm not saying it's all bad that we are now all aware of climate change. Right. Of course, it's not bad being aware of things, but the, the, the point is like, uh, where should we focus on? I exactly. think the, the emphasis, emphasis has been much too much on the individuals and and not not enough on the on the business and political level and mm. yeah well thanks to BP yeah <laughs> that's that's so interesting I never knew this that's so so amazing oh so amazing <laughs> to know and what an amazing way to finish our interview thank you Yiva Leitinen this was literature from Finland brought to you by Helsinki Literary Agency and hosted by me Urte special thanks to Petri Latvala for the design and Alessandra Nana for the music and to colleagues Urpu, Vivi and Kai and don't forget to tune in next month